Okay, three times I have started this reading of Jack London's part one, The Wild, The Trail of the Meat, White Fang. For this wild-ass pit bull I adopted off the street, and we are finally sitting down on the couch, and he seems to have gotten his jimmies out because his eyes are starting to close. So I will read him a bedtime story about himself. Yes, I will. This is Archer Midland. Reads, White Fang, Part 1, The Wild. Chapter, title, The Trail of the Meat. I'm going to take this seriously this time, because I'm not going to do it a fourth time. Take a sip of Spanish wine that rhymes, and you know it does. Mmm. I do love good Spanish wine. Agent Cooper. Make me strong. Dark spruce forest. Round on either side, the frozen waterway. I'll try that again. <sighs> Sibilance. Me. Me. Dark. The trail of the meat. Dark spruce forest frowned on either side of the frozen waterway. The trees had been stripped by a recent wind of their white covering of frost, and they seemed to lean towards each other, black and ominous in the fading light. A vast silence reigned over the land. The land itself was a desolation, lifeless, without movement, so lone and cold that the spirit of it was not even that of sadness. There was a hint in it of laughter, but of a laughter more terrible than any sadness. Ooh. A laughter that was as mirthless as the smile of the sphinx, a laughter cold as the frost and partaking of the grimness of infallibility. That is not a good way to start your evening with that sort. It was the masterful and incommunicable wisdom of eternity, laughing at the futility of life and the effort of life. It was the wild, the savage, frozen-hearted Northland wild. But there was life, abroad in the spring and defiant. Abroad in the land and defiant, is what it actually says. A spring, I don't know where that came from. There was life, abroad in the land and defiant. Down the frozen waterway toiled a string of wolfish dogs. Their bristly fur was rimmed with frost. Their breath froze in the air as it left their mouths, sprouting forth in spumes of vapor that settled upon the hair of their bodies and formed into crystals of frost. A leather harness was on the dogs, and leather traces attached them to a sled which dragged along behind. The sled was without runners. It was made of stout birch bark, its full surface rested on the snow. The front end of the sled was turned up like a scroll in order to force down and under the bore of soft snow that surged like a wave before it. On the sled, securely lashed, was a long and narrow oblong box. There were other things on the sled, blankets, an axe, and a coffee pot and a frying pan, but prominent, occupying most of the space, was the long and narrow oblong box. In advance of the dogs, on wide snowshoes, toiled a man. At the rear of the sled toiled a second man. On the sled, in the box, lay a third man whose toil was over. Hyphen. 
a man whom the wild had conquered and beaten down until he would never move nor struggle again. It is not the way of the wild, capital W, to like movement. Capital L, life is an offense to it, for life is movement. Semicolon. And the capital, the wild, aims always to destroy movement. Wow. I don't know if I agree with that. It freezes the water to prevent it running to the sea. It drives the sap out of the trees till they are frozen to their mighty hearts. And most ferociously and terribly of all does the wild, hairy, and most crushed into submission man. Man, who is the most restless of life, ever in revolt against the diction that all movement must in the end come to the cessation of movement. But at front and rear, unawed and undomitable, toiled the two men who were not yet dead. Their bodies were covered with fur and soft tan leather. Eyelashes and cheeks and lips were so coated with these crystals from their frozen bed that their faces were not discernible. This gave them the seeming of ghostly masks, undertakers in a spectral world at the funeral of some ghost. But under it all, they were men, penetrating the land of desolation and mockery and silence, puny adventurers bent on colossal adventure, pitting themselves against the might of a world as remote and alien and pulseless as the abysses of space. Jesus, man! That's intense. That, might, that phone went under my ass, so that recording might have gone to shit, but I don't care. They traveled on without speech, saving their breath for the work of the bodies. Their bodies. On every side was a silence, the silence, pressing upon them with a tangible presence. It affected their minds as many atmospheres of deep water affect the body of the diver. It crushed them with a weight Ouch. Ooh, the ouch is not in the text, but just, you know, letting that sentence hit you in the head, realization-wise. Pretty, pretty fucking good. It crushed them with the weight of unending vastness and unalterable decree. It crushed them into the remotest recesses of their own minds. Hmm, not a fun place to be, pressing out of them like juices from the grape, all the false ardors and exaltations and undue self-values of the human soul until they perceived themselves finite and small, specks and motes, moving with weak, cunning, and little wisdom amidst the play and interplay of the great blind elements, forces, and wisdom. Now, if it was my, I was me, if I was Jacqueline, I would put in a little bit here about the Aurora Borealis. Maybe it's coming later on, we'll see. Let's continue. An hour went by, and the second hour, Pale white as short sunless day was beginning to fade when a faint far cry arose in the still air. It soared upward with a swift rush till it reached its topmost note where it persisted palpitant and tense and slowly died away. Uh, amidst this cold, this is a side note, if you heard that firing up, that is the gas furnace here in Texas. It is winter. That is all that is required to heat this house, a meager line of natural gas. Installed before I was here, I had to replace the furnace. Life is easy. You know, don't be like that kid and drove a bus to this place that extinguishes all movement because he died. Second hour. Pale light at short love. Sunlight. Yeah, okay, fine. Going on topmost note where it persisted, palpitant and tense, and slowly died away. It might have been a lost soul wailing had it not been invested with a certain sad fierceness and hungry eagerness. The front man turned his head until the eyes met the eyes of the man behind, and then 
across the narrow oblong box. Ooh, shit, that's the meat. Each nodded onto the other. A second cry arose, piercing the silence with needle-like shrillness. Both men located the sound. It was to the rear, somewhere in the snow expanse they had just traversed. A third answering note arose, cry, arose to the rear and also to the left of the second cry. They're after us, Bill, said the man at the front. His voice sounded hoarse and unreal, and he had spoken with apparent effort. Meat is scarce, answered his comrade. I ain't seen a rabbit, sign for days. Thereafter they spoke no more, though their ears were keen for the hunting cries that continued to rise behind them. At the fall of darkness they swung the dogs onto a cluster of spruce trees on the edge of the waterway and made a camp. A coffin at the edge of the fire served for a seat and table. The wolf dogs, clustered on the far side of the fire, snarled and bickered amongst themselves, but evinced no inclination to stray off into the darkness. Seems to me, Henry, they were staying remarkably close to the camp. Bill commented. Henry, squatting over the fire and settling the pot of coffee with a piece of ice, nodded. Nor did he speak till he had taken his seat on the coffin and begun to eat. They know where their hides are safe, he said. They sooner eat grub than be grub. They're pretty wise, them dogs. Bill shook his head. Oh, I don't know. His comrades looked at him curiously. This is Henry. First time I ever heard you say anything about them not being wise. Henry, said the other, munching with deliberation the beans he was eating. Did you happen to notice the way them dogs kicked up when I was feeding them? They did cut up more than usual, Henry acknowledged. How many dogs we got, Henry? Six. Well, Henry, Bill stopped for a moment in order that his words might grain. Gain greater significance. So we will stop for a moment as well while I sip this Spanish wine. I think that's the end of the bottle. I might go outside for a smoke during this. I don't know how many more pages I have. Do you feel significant? Battery is on not much percent F for respect back to Bill as I was saying Henry we've got six dogs I took six fish out to the bag I gave one fish to each dog and Henry I was one fish short you counted wrong we got six dogs. The other reiterated dispassionately. I took out six fish. One ear didn't get no fish. I come back to the afterward and got a miss fish. We only got six dogs, Henry said. Henry, Bill went on. I won't say they was all dogs, but there was seven of them got fish. Henry stopped eating to glance across the fire and count the dogs. There's only six now, he said. I saw the other one run off across the snow, Bill announced with cool positiveness. I saw seven. His comrade looked at him commiseratingly and said, I'll be almighty glad when this trip's over. What you mean by that, Bill demanded. I mean that this load of ours getting on your nerves and that you're beginning to see things. I thought of that, 
Bill answered, gravely. And so, when I saw run off across the snow, I looked in the snow and saw his tracks. Then I counted the dogs, and there were still six of them. The tracks is there in the snow now. You want to look at them? I'll show them to you. Henry did not reply, but munched on in silence. Until the meal finished, he topped it with a final cup of coffee. Good choice, Henry. He wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and said, Then you're thinking it was... A long, wailing cry, fiercely sad, from somewhere in the darkness, had interrupted him. He stopped to listen to it. Then he finished his sentence with a wave of his hand towards the out of the cry. One of them. Bill nodded. I'd have blamed sight sooner than anything else. You noticed yourself the row the dogs made the row. Cry after cry and answering cries were turning the silence into a bedlam. From every side the cries arose and the dogs betrayed their fear by huddling together and so close to the fire that their hair was scorched by the heat. Bill threw on more wood before lighting his pipe. What a bastard is Bill. I'm thinking you're down in the mouth some, Henry said. Henry, he sucked meditatively on his pipe for some time before he went on. Henry, I'm going outside for a smoke during this, by the way, because uh, they're sucking on a pipe and I can't not smoke my cigarette when I hear that. I'm thinking you're down on the mouse some, Henry said. Bill replied, Henry, he sucked meditatively at his pipe for some time before he went on. Henry, I was a thinking, what a blame sight luckier he is than you and me will ever be. He indicated the third person by a downward thrust of the thumb to the box on which they sat. You and me, Henry, when we die, we'll be lucky if we get enough stones over our carcasses to keep the dogs off us. But we ain't got people and money and all the rest like him, Henry rejoined. Long-distance funerals is something you and me can't exactly afford. Well, guess me, Henry, is what a chap like this. As the Lord or something in his own country that's never had to bother about nor grub nor blankets. Well, he comes a button around the God forsaken ends of the earth. That's what I can't exactly see. He might have lived a ripe old age if he stayed to home, Henry agreed. I do not have separate voices for these two gentlemen. Do my best to juggle all these devices here book, phone, cigarette. Bill opened his mouth to speak but changed his mind. Instead, he pointed towards the wall of darkness that pressed around them from every side. There was no suggestion of form in utter blackness. Only could be seen a pair of eyes gleaming like live coals. Henry indicated with his head a second pair and a third. A circle of gleaming eyes had drawn about their clamp. Now and again, a pair of eyes moved or disappeared to appear again a moment later. The unrest of the dogs had been increasing. And they stampeded. Hey, buddy, what's up, dude? I know it's a fucking rat. Just get away. You're not going to fucking kill it. Psycho. You go after a deer, not a rat. Useless. Lovable dog. The unrest of my dog and the dogs had been increasing, and they stampeded. 
and a surge of sudden fear to the near side of the fire, cringing and crawling about the legs of the men. In the scramble, one of the dogs had been overturned on the edge of the fire and had yelped in pain with fright as the smell of its singed coat possessed the air. The commotion caused a circle of eyes to shift restlessly for a moment and even to withdraw a bit, but it settled down again as the dogs became quiet. Henry, it's a blame misfortune to be out of ammunition. Bill had finished his pipe. Was helping his companion spread the bed of fur and blanket upon the spruce boughs which he had laid over the snow before supper. Henry grunted and began unlacing his moccasins. How many cartridges you see you had left? he asked. Three, came the answer. And I wished was three hundred. I'd show him up for Danum. He shook his fist angrily at the gleaming eyes and began securely to prop his moccasins before the fire. And I wish this cold snap break, he went on. It's been fifty below for two weeks now. And I wish I'd never started on this trip, Henry. And I don't like the looks of it. And I don't feel right somehow. And while I'm wishing, I wish the trip was over and done with. And you and me are sitting by the fire in Fort McGurr with just now a plain cribbage. That's what I wished. Henry grunted and crawled into bed. As he dozed off, he was aroused by his comrade's voice. Say, Henry, they're the one that come in and I got a fish. Why didn't the dogs pitch into it? That's what it's bothering me. You're bothering me too much, Bill, came the sleepy response. You was never like this before. You just shut up now and go to sleep, and you'll be all hunkered door in the morning. Your stomach's sour. That's what's bothering you. The men slept, breathing heavily side by side under the one covering. The fire had died down, and the gleaming eyes drew closer to the circle they had flung about the camp. Dogs clustered together in fear now and again, snarling menacingly as a pair of eyes drew close. Once their uproar became so loud that Bill woke up, he got out of bed carefully, but not to disturb the sleep of his comrade, and threw more wood on the fire. As it began to flame up, the circle of eyes drew further back. He glanced casually at the huddling of dogs. He rubbed his eyes and looked at them more sharply and crawled back into the blankets. Henry, he said, oh, Henry? Henry groaned as he passed from sleep to waking and demanded, what is wrong now? Nothing, came the answer. Only there were seven of them. Again, I just counted. Henry acknowledged receipt of the information with a grunt that slid into a snore as he drifted back into sleep. In the morning, it was Henry who awoke first and routed his companion out of bed. Daylight was yet three hours away, though it was already six o'clock. In the darkness, Henry went about preparing breakfast while Bill rolled the blankets and made the sled ready for lashing. Say, Henry, he asked suddenly, how many dogs did you say we had? Six. Wrong. Bill proclaimed triumphantly. Seven again, Henry queried. No, five. One's gone. The hell? Henry cried in wrath, leaving the cooking to count and Come and count the dogs. You're right, Bill. He concluded Fatty's gone. And he went just like grease lightning once he got started. Could have seen him for smoke. No chance at all, Henry concluded. They just swallowed him alive. I bet he was yelping and went down their throats, damn him. He always was a fool of a dog, said Bill. But no fool of a dog ought to be fool enough to go off and commit suicide that way. He looks about over the remainder of the team with a speculative eye that summed up hastily. The salient traits of each animal. I bet none of those would do it. Couldn't drive him away from the fire with a club, Bill agreed. 
I always did think there was something wrong with Patty anyways. And this was the epitaph of a dead dog on the Northlands Trail. Less scant than the epitaph of many other dog. Of many a man. In chapter. I hope you enjoyed. See you for part two.